Welcome to uh, Lightshine Church. It's good to be together on this beautiful Christmas Eve. And you may have gathered, if this is your first time here, that maybe we're a little different. Um, so we're going to do something different tonight and pass out homemade Christmas cookies. Um, that way you'll make sure the sugar rush will keep you awake during this uh, <laughs> message here. So I want to take just a minute uh, while they're passing these cookies out and let people know. Like, By the way, don't be bashful. Put some in your pocket. You don't have to just take one. There are. Dylan, I'm talking to you. You can take a plate home with you if you want. Um, but there's a, there's a ton, seriously. So dig in. If you don't like what comes by, wait for another basket. Put your hand up. I'm sure we can get some good ones to you. Um, I just want to take a minute and let us know a little bit about what makes us unique, aside from the fact that we meet in a, in a sanctuary with a disco ball. Um, but we opened up the doors of this church about three years ago with 13 people. And we rent this awesome space from our gracious host and good friend, Joe Hecht. His business here is called Time of Your Life. They're a party business. And the reason that we partner and don't own our own building and property is that we wanted to uh, be able to give more of ourselves away to our community and to the world. And so we kind of see our life at Lightshine in two really simple categories. We call it gathered and scattered. And so we gather for worship here on Sundays at 10.30, except for tomorrow. So don't show up tomorrow morning at 10.30. Um, We gather together in small groups. We gather together to tutor kids. We gather together to serve the poor and homeless here in the Caneo Valley. Um, We gather for all kinds of really good parties. Uh, We do those really well. If you haven't been to one, you should give one a try. Um, But during the rest of the week, when we're not gathered together here, Within these walls, we don't see, uh, cease to be the church. And so we find ourselves scattered all over places outside of these walls that we find ourselves in tonight. We scatter into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our places of work, our hangouts. Um, and in our scattered life, what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn how to take the blessings that God has given us and that we've received out of God's really ridiculous generosity. And we're learning to give ourselves away as a church in order that our lives might become a blessing to others. So in other words, one of the things that really sets us apart, I think, is that we're a church that's decided to exist not only for itself and for the people that are here, but a deliberate decision to exist for others, those that are not yet here. And so we're sincerely grateful that you're here with us tonight. We would love the opportunity to connect with you further if you're visiting uh, with us. And if you're interested in learning more about who we are, uh, you can do a few really simple things. You could even do it now and it would be okay. You could like us on Facebook. So this would be like the time you could just break your phone out. It only takes a second. Um, Perfectly appropriate use of a cell phone in church would be for that. You can visit our website to learn a little bit more about who we are. You can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, There's some blue cards right outside the door. If you would like to connect further, if you have questions about who we are and what we do here, um, I'm happy to follow up with anyone. You could just leave me an email address or a phone number, and I can follow up with you. Or you can just join us on Sundays here at 1030 in this space, except for tomorrow. Will you pray with me? Mighty God, the shepherds, the angels of old were full of your praises. And so, God, we just ask that you would move among us with your spirit, that we too might hear and experience the wonder and the joy of the living word as we seek to welcome the written word into our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. Well, it was just over 18 years ago that my twin daughters were born. And so waiting for them when they came home were these two beautiful cribs that we had picked out for their room. I actually got one of them and I left it in my truck. I was going to bring one of them in. But there were so many things going on that I forgot to do it. But these cribs were, were waiting for them when they got home. And you think uh, something I would have never known. I would have never guessed this before having kids, but cribs are really, really important. Not only are there aesthetic issues to consider, but safety features as well. It's almost like as complicated as trying to buy a new car. Well, those cribs served us really well. A few years later, they were too big, and so I went to this unfinished wood store right here in Westlake. I bought these two beds. I painted them white. Katie got these really nice, good-looking knobs and put them on the drawers. And sadly, these baby cribs that we had were no longer needed, or so I thought. I took them apart. I took the hardware. I put them in uh, these bags, and I was ready to give them away to a family who needed them. If I had given those cribs away without asking first, because judging by the reaction of my wife, you would have thought that I was giving away the house or a precious vial of medication uh, that would cure some fatal disease. And I learned right then and there that cribs are far more important than I ever could have understand, understood at the time. They have real value because they point us to something beyond themselves. They point to the most precious, the most valuable thing in the world, which is the children who slept in them. And yes, that was a compliment. (laughs) Jesus' crib or manger would be no exception. It, too, will point us beyond itself to the baby who slept in it. But the danger is, of course, that we might miss the point. So I'm going to explain by using a picture of my dogs. Here they are. Any dog lovers out there? I know we have a few in the front row, yes. Well, here's a picture of my two canine friends, Muddy Bear on the left and Winston on the right. I'm admittedly a little obsessed with my dogs. Well, maybe a lot obsessed with my dogs. But there are times when these guys leave me scratching my head, like especially when I play fetch with my dogs, my lab particularly. I'll throw the ball over and over and over again. I honestly believe that if I didn't stop throwing the ball, that dog would chase it until she keeled over from heart failure. But this is how the game ends every time. Every time, finally, I throw the ball and the dog loses sight of it. She has no idea where it is. So she freezes. Maybe she spins around in a couple circles trying to locate it. And then when she can't find it, she sits at attention looking at me, hoping for some help. So naturally, I do what all dog owners do. I point in the direction of where I threw the ball. Now, to anyone who has dogs... How often does pointing out the object work with your dog? That's right. It doesn't, ever. Instead of looking in the direction that you're pointing, the dog will sit there and just stare at the tip of your finger. This can be frustrating, because to stare at your finger and miss the object there is literally to miss the point, right? And this is sometimes the mistake that we make when we read Luke's version of the Christmas story. 
Luke is pointing us to what's most important. Luke's pointing us toward uh, the child that's in the manger. And so, too often, we get stuck looking at his finger, the manger itself, instead of the object which his finger is pointing to. And so the manger, the Christmas crib, is certainly one of the most recognizable things in the entire Christmas story. It's on millions of Hallmark cards. It's in all of our nativity sets. And it must be important because Luke actually mentions the manger three times in the story. And so the story of Jesus' birth is strikingly simple. It's brief, and it's pretty straightforward. Jesus arrives with no fanfare, almost in total anonymity, the son of Jews of average social status. And God chose to identify with us in the humblest possible way. But as we're going to see, that appearances can sometimes be deceiving. Luke, like a good historian, he gives us a date, a place, and a circumstance. News of the regional census for the purposes of collecting taxes had come down from Caesar Augustus, and so pregnant Mary, her betrothed husband Joseph, make the 90-mile, probably three- to five-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which means the city of David. Now, Bethlehem is significant. Because it's Joseph's ancestral city, but even more important than that, it's the place that the prophet Micah said that the Messiah would be born. And so it's subtle, but Luke is hinting that this humble birth will have some regal tones. There's no room for Jesus at the overcrowded inn. The baby Jesus is placed in a manger, in all likelihood a feeding trough, in an animal stall on the first floor of an overcrowded peasant home. Now, I've read this story a hundred times, but when I read it this time, the mangers just seemed to jump out at me because the manger was to be the sign for the shepherds. The angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, bringing good news of great joy for all the people because a child had been born in the city of Bethlehem. But how would the shepherds find this baby? How would they know for sure which baby it was? Well, the answer is the manger. Listen to what the angel said. It said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. It's the manger that told the shepherds which baby to look for. It also showed that these angels knew what they were talking about. And then we get to the most important part of the story. It was the shepherds that were told who this child was. We're told the identity of this child when the angel of the Lord appears to these wandering shepherds who are keeping the night watch over their sheep. The good news that the messenger brought was great joy for all people. He said, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so it's this one remarkable sentence that the messenger of God shares with us the identity of the child that was born that day. He is Savior or Deliverer. He's Lord or Master. He is Messiah or Christ, the anointed King. And so Jesus arrives on the scene to fulfill God's ancient promises, and he spends his first night not 
in some palace among royalty, but among poor and simple peasants in a rough, cut, animal feeding trough with no stylish bumper, no distressed faux finish, (laughs) no high-end safety features. Luke is setting up a serious contrast between two kings, between King Jesus and between Caesar Augustus. He started this simple story with Caesar Augustus, who was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Augustus turned the Roman Republic into an empire with himself at the head. He proclaimed that in himself, justice and peace had been brought to the whole world. He also declared that his adopted father, Julius Caesar, was a god, and so quite naturally that made him a son of God. And so to many people, particularly in the eastern part of his empire, they actually worshipped Augustus as a god. But this child, who Luke speaks of, would also be hailed as the son of God, who would bring peace and justice to the world. It's this confrontation between two very different kings, two very different kinds of kingdoms, And in all its apparent humility and weakness and vulnerability and even insignificance, the kingdom that Jesus ushered in would certainly get the attention of Augustus and his successors as they would move to have this baby's followers eradicated from the face of the earth. The fact that we're gathered here today shows the mighty Roman Empire, and it is no more. It shows us which of the two kingdoms had the real and the lasting value. And so we ask ourselves a question. What is a proper response to the birth of this child king that Luke talks about? And when I was thinking about it and looking at it, I like the shepherd's response. Maybe it starts with curiosity. The shepherd's curiosity led them to Bethlehem because they wanted to see this thing that had happened. The angelic messenger had given them the sign of a baby in a manger to look for, and their curiosity drove them to go and find this child. And when they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger, they shared with them what had been made known to them. Our curiosity, like the shepherds, should drive us to seek after the one who came seeking us out in the birth of Jesus, our Savior our Lord, and our Messiah. And when we see the manger on Christmas cards or nativity sets tonight or tomorrow, don't stop looking at the crib. And definitely don't try to sell it or give it away. (laughs) That would be a massive adventure in missing the point. Because the manger points to the truth that it's the baby lying in it. That's the true king of kings, the true Lord of lords, and that this king is worthy of our praise, our uh, adoration, and our devotion. So we can join our voices together with the voices of the heavenly hosts. Will you join me and say these words? Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. May the peace of Christ be with you. Merry Christmas. And amen. Amen. Amen.